Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Coburg is booming. If you ask Coburg Mayor John Henderson, that is what he would tell you. And he has proof. All kinds of development is taking place, both residential and commercial. A number of companies in Northern Industrial Park just renewed multi-year leases. Lots of initiatives are going on from revising the official plan to supporting local businesses. There is another side to this story. The cost of housing is skyrocketing. The average home in Northumberland sells for more than $800,000. Rents are going through the roof, and finding a vacancy is next to impossible. The harbour needs $12 million worth of work so it doesn't fall into Lake Ontario. Heritage buildings are under threat, facing uncertain futures. And a major chunk of real estate is opening up at Brookside. It could transform the town. So there's lots going on in 2022. And just to make things more exciting, it is a municipal election year. The mayor will talk about all this and more. Here is that interview. It's so nice to see you again, Mayor Henderson. Welcome to Consider This. Well, thank you. And uh, it's always great to start a new year. I want to begin by asking you, how would you characterize the past year for Coburg Council? Well, it certainly has uh, been an active, uh, busy year. I think uh, that goes without saying, just with our number of uh, council meetings, special council meetings, public meetings, uh, on average, I think they've been somewhere between th- three and five hours each. Uh, we've handled a lot of agenda items um, in all elements through all departments. So to say active, I think would be an understatement. And I'm very pleased to say that because mm-hmm. when we're in a COVID related environment, I would sense that most people would think it would be the complete opposite. But again, that could not be furthest from the truth. It's probably the, uh, since COVID, I would say the busiest term I've experienced in my 10 years on uh, Cobra Council. When you say it's busy and you talk about the pandemic, has it been busy with pandemic things or has it been busy on other levels as well? Both. Um, I I believe what's happened, uh, there's been a shift uh, in, in thinking. I know those who might live in what I call the GTA um, have looking, I believe, for smaller communities. I know the stats of the province are starting to define and show that whether you're moving east or north to Collingwood or Aurelia or to the west side of Niagara on the lake. And as people are looking for smaller communities, because now they know they can work and live from home as long as they have some access to their job within a reasonable time frame. And I believe people are looking for a quality of life. I know I've run into a lot of new people in Coburg as I walk my dog and 
one of the first things they comment on is how walkable uh, the town of Coburg is. In a recent interview, you said Coburg was booming and you argued new growth doubled during COVID. You pointed yes. to residential and business development and the spate of new lease agreements in the Northern Industrial Park. But the Correct. Northumberland Association of Realtors paints a different picture. It says in the past year, it saw home sales drop and there was a modest gain in home sales from the previous year of 3.1%. It also said that the overall inventory of homes has shrank to an unsustainable level and I'm quoting them there. Uh -huh. This has resulted in a skyrocketing house prices with an average price of a record $828,000 on average. That's up nearly 30% from 2020. Right. How do you balance those two points of view? Well, I can only go by uh, typically what's happened in our downtown core. I know in the last um, six months, we've opened up 18 plus businesses of, of different types, either because they've enlarged, they've chosen to expand, or they're relatively new. Similarly, we've opened up a number of new businesses from what I call the Strathy uh, Secondary Plan area up on Elgin Street. I know in terms of Northern Industrial Park, uh, we signed our major players and have new players in the park. And right now we have approximately about a million plus square feet of operating space that is operating today uh, with staff in place. And I know in terms of Lucas Point Park, uh, we've made agreements to bring new businesses to Coburg once their establishments are built or the next one or two years where they'll relocate uh, those new jobs or move jobs to the Coburg area. So again, uh, that's what we're seeing. As we're seeing this influx, I mean, let's not keep that Coburg. I realize the significant house prices, but they're not much different if you move to Brighton. They're not much different if you go to Wellington or any other part of Ontario. There has been a huge escalation in costs. And as a result, it has changed the dynamics and it has shortened what is available, what we would consider a fair market value in past. Um, tell me a community that can offer a fair market value that we knew in past, because my answer is, you're gonna to have to either go way north uh, or something well beyond Wellington and Picton to find it. Um, it's, 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 it's a matter of supply and demand and unfortunately, we're, we're suffering from that same fate as other communities are as well. I'd like to come back. There was a lot in there. Uh, first of all, let's, let's talk about new business. You talked about new business. How many businesses, though, on the other side have closed locally? So to give us a better picture, what has been the net growth or net loss? I, I don't have all the numbers, but I know our net growth has been more significant than the loss. And because as we've lost a business or it turns over, then we have a new proponent, we'll need to come in to try a new service or a new venue. It's not to say we haven't lost uh, the three that come to mind that are significant. Someone might say, well, we lost the Matterhorn restaurant. But then again, we only lost them because of years of retirement age. 
when we lost BBs, I believe after, I'll say at least 90 plus years, I know it's higher than that. That's because uh, they couldn't find anybody in the family and they wanted to retire. And it was the closure of BBs and hopefully to be used for depending on who would like to use that space and negotiations, perhaps a newfound service or business to go in there. So yes, we've lost some businesses outright, but when I look at the number that have come in, it has far exceeded uh, the, the empty lots and businesses we're aware of downtown. I want to talk some more about housing and in particular affordable housing, because it seems to be re, remain a, a crisis despite multiple efforts to create more units. And if you're looking for an affordable home, uh, as we were talking about house prices, the county has a, a 10 year waiting list uh, for affordable housing. It, and I know the numbers of projects are underway and there are some on the books, but it seems to barely that council is really moving the needle on this issue. Now, other than the projects that are underway, what is council doing to make a major difference to help counteract these skyrocketing house prices, the incredible rent that one has to pay in Coburg to live here? Well, you're absolutely right, Robert. I mean, we're doing everything we can, but you're quite right. The pace that we're working on is probably the best pace we've had in a number of years, but to your answer, does it meet the demand? My answer is nowhere close to meet the demand. Uh, this kind of initiative should have started 30, 35 years ago, both from a federal and the provincial government, in my opinion, from a national housing strategy, which did not happen. But maybe perhaps in a good news story, I mean, we have the construction of Boulder in Coburg with uh, 71 units of which 14 will be affordable. We, through the county, redeveloped what we call the Algon Park uh, Street Development, where it moved from the current 18 units when it's fully built, it will accommodate up to 40 units on the same site. The county has purchased, I hope I have the address right, I think it's 473 Ontario Street. They just got through uh, dealing with their memorandum of agreement or understanding, which is an agreement between their Thumbin County Housing Corporation Board, Habitat for Humanity, and Ab Aboriginal Ontario Corporation. Well, they will share the new build that will be done on Ontario Street of 62 units. Uh, again, it has to yet to be designed and built. So when you combine these with the work that's being done at the county and in social services and affordable housing units that are constantly being maintained or improved uh, for the betterment. And then when you look at our own CIP, um, we're doing the best we can and we've done a lot, I believe, as a council. But if you're asking me, is it truly going to address the magnitude that's before us, knowing we have a wait list close to 10 years, um, the answer is not. Um, to do this, we actually need, in my opinion, a national strategy come down, both from the federal and provincial government, and I hate to say this, it's gonna be attached, has to be attached with the billion dollar kind of bill to allow us to meet these growing needs within our community. These needs are not just Coburg's. I mean, they're throughout the entire Northumberland County. And when I talk to my colleagues and other mayors in different areas, they're, they're suffering uh, from the same fate. 
Well, the county just released a growth study uh, a couple months ago, projecting uh, 122,000 people will be living in Northumberland by 2051. And that's about 30 years from now. So how is COBRA going to control its growth? Well, Robert, you're quite right. The only thing we can hope is that as we align both what we call our official plan and comprehensive sodium bylaws, which will go under, I hope, its final review in 2022, uh, that will become what I call our Bible, our driving mechanism that is aligned. I hope we understand that it's aligned with Northumberland County official plan, which is an alignment to all provincial documents across the board. So as housing comes in, we are looking and getting different kinds of housing, certainly a mixed bag of housing. I know we just approved in design stacked house, townhouses. I believe 59 of them are in that neighborhood for up in the Birchwood Drive Trail area. So again, we're hoping that as developers and proponents come in, they'll build different kinds of units uh, to meet the different needs of individuals. Again, I have no control on the housing prices, but I can hope that many of them at least will be considered to be reasonable or a starting point for individuals. There's no doubt that this is one of the greatest um, bubbles we've had. Uh, let's be honest, there, take my own family. I've got my own children who are well-educated, have great jobs. And let's be honest, where they are right now, they may not be able to afford a home at this point. And it's not that they can't afford the mortgage, but because of the rules of the land, they can't afford and save enough in the down payment. So. Unfortunately, unless we have a national strategy to help young people and others to get into the housing market, I, I, I agree with you, it's going to remain very challenging. Before we leave the topic of housing, I, I just want to talk to you about one more thing. And, and up until January 14th, there was only one warming center in all of Northumberland County, and it was located in a church in Coburg, and it was only overnight. As of January 14th, though, the town has opened a warming center. And up until then, there was nothing during the day. Now, I'm sure if someone who is living outside because they are homeless, there may not be a lot of difference between minus 10 and minus 20 degrees, which I understand is the threshold. Minus 20 is the threshold before you open a warming center. In fact, it was minus 23 degrees Celsius on January 7th. Now, and again, nothing was open during the day. Can you explain why there is not a line item in the town or the county's annual budget to pay for a drop-in center that serves both day and night so that people are not being left out in extreme weather, both in the winter and the summer? Well, Robert, you're making a very valid point. I can only say to your point, the fact of today, working with uh, CO Vaughn and the team of staff, the town of Colbert did step up Effective this morning and opened up the CCC Center uh, for the day element starting today at 8 a.m. and it will go to 8 p.m. Uh, where we can uh, help them with facilities, warmth, uh, some degree of care, what we might say at least a roof over your head during that time period. We've already made arrangements with Sentry uh, Transportation They've donated their services to transport individuals um, who may want and wish to be relocated back to a particular church 
uh, on the main part of town that is open and has access from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, and working with Chief Vandergraaf, he's uh, made sure that when they return on the bus, a warm meal will be ready for them upon uh, the return to this particular church. But with all that being said, I can tell you that your point is well taken. We operate and the county operates at a very high level of heises and putting uh, great plans in place, uh, ensuring uh, team performances, ensuring each court matters and people are dealt in team performance. And my answer from a high level, that's fantastic. That, that's, the, that's the pathway we wanna go down in the future. But you're quite right, it doesn't address the individual who's out on the street this morning and says, well, where do I go and where can I go and what services? So I'm the first to agree with you that the county, in my opinion, and I'm part of the county, we have to do a better job in the future to ensure we're just not supplying care from evening through the night, but we really need to reframe how we look at vulnerable care whether it's a cold day or not. And so it's your point to have some kind of center that people can go to that can depend upon, I, I believe is critical. And I am hoping the county will seriously look at this because we know the need is within our community. I mean, that was proven today. Looking forward, uh, a proposal came forward about using Brookside uh, for purposes of providing shelter or temporary shelter um, in the near future. Uh, can you bring us up to date as to what is going on there and what possibilities there are with that proposal? Well, I have to tell you, there was no proposal that I'm aware of. What I am aware of that uh, Council Bureau put a notice of motion, in other words, perhaps to bring that discussion to the floor, uh, from last Monday's meeting that was withdrawn from Council Bureau. At this point, I can tell you there have been no talks of Brookside on that regard whatsoever because Brookside right now is still under the ministry umbrella. We have not had any direct meetings since November, December, uh, where I'm still waiting to hear through Mr. and Minister Piccini as to will the ministry work from one ministry and adapt it to another to use Brookside in another manner? Or will they be having truly future negotiations through their IO department with the town of Coburg? So at this point, I'm awaiting uh, Mr. Piccini's update to our council. He's agreed to come forward on January the 31st. But I can tell you there have been no discussions on Brookside whatsoever. Let's talk about the budget. There was a lot of energy put into this year's budget, a 2.9% net increase for the town's portion. And at one point in the process, council was looking at a 4.1% increase. Now, while there is a demand by some in the community to keep taxes down, there is also a responsibility to address the needs and the issues the town faces in the long term. With all the projected growth, how long does council think it can keep taxes down and yet provide the services we need both now and in the future? Well, I'd have to say, Robert, from my perspective, because I'm sure maybe a different perspective from the deputy mayor or other members 
of council, but I, I thought council did a, a great job in balancing uh, COVID-related uh, items, uh, the additional cons construction cost value index that we're dealing with. Our, our materials are ranging anywhere from 10 to 17%, depending on the item you're purchasing. So at the same time, I thought we did a great job in identifying capital projects that we have to deal with and balancing the infrastructure along the way. Uh, as you know, we have uh, a number of capital projects that we would do continuously. We try each year to do an annual street or a number of streets to reconstruct those streets. And if I'm not mistaken, this year on the docket is, uh, uh, sorry, is Blake, Victoria and Burke. And so they will be done in the coming year very much like we would do all streets. Similarly, we understand our sewer system has to be identified and that must continue because what we don't see underneath it has a lifespan as well. Uh, in the budget, you will note, I believe we committed to a million dollars for the next three years to ensure that that infrastructure is improved and then enhanced. And we also learned with the new subdivisions recently, we did a great job in creating in the last many years, what we call water management ponds for the right reason for natural infiltration. But what we didn't do, we didn't keep a good handle on the management or the risk management of those ponds. So now we have a plan going forward that for example, the most recent pond I think we were dealing with was the Terry Fox pond, but to deal with these ponds, to bring them back, to bring them to the uh, to the where we need to do for the province, they're extremely expensive. I can't remember the figure, but you're looking at major six-digit figures. Similarly, when we look at the expansion that is being proposed for the corner, I use this as an example of for Albert Division Street for the new Beachwalk Bill that is being proposed. Then the idea is to reconstruct the corner, but with the new reconstruction of corner with the new intersection lighting system that's available to meet the new AOTA standards with sound and the beeps and the like. In the old days, I would tell you we could do that for about $125,000. We're now that same corner is somewhere between approximately $350,000. So I thought council did a great job in taking the projects that are before us. The other one, we discovered that we're going to have to do some strong mitigation strategies. We learned about uh, the concern of Monk's Cove. Uh, council immediately proceeded to design, but we were told in the short term, we're probably looking at a bill of $250,000 as a Band-Aid, but the true fix is closer to $2 million. Likewise, if we take our waterfront, um, again, I'm pleased many years ago that Coburg bought the waterfront. We own our waterfront. I, I believe we have one of the nicest waterfronts of any municipality in Southern Ontario, especially on this side of the lake. We're very proud of uh, what we've been able to do with our waterfront over many years since I've been here. As you remember when it was coal piles and oil tanks and railway tracks. But with that being said, we know that our basin walls and our outer walls are deteriorating. And right now we know the bill that we've agreed to proceed this year, I think is slightly over $5 million, ultimately knowing in the next three or four years, 
collectively, it's probably going to be 12 plus million dollars. So you're quite right. We have to ensure that as we move forward, we're dealing with the infrastructure needs of our community, um, dealing with the services that we wish to supply, and at the same time, trying to find that balance moving forward with our residents in terms of the tax levy. Did I hear correctly when you started your answer that uh, it sounded a little bit like you didn't fully agree with the approach that the deputy mayor took in terms of budget? Did I misunderstand that or was that correct? I'm sorry, could you repeat that part? I apologize. I said when you started your answer, you seem to allude to the fact that you didn't quite agree with the deputy mayor. Did I hear that wrong or did I hear you correctly? No, you you heard that wrong. What I indicated is that a deputy mayor or any other member of council in answering this question may answer it differently. All right, thank you for clarifying that. I apologize. There was an organizational review that took place over the past year. There was a call within the report to hire 13 new staff. How many hires is council planning to do this year beyond replacing existing positions? I would have to think off top of my head. Uh, I would say it would be At this point, I don't have my sheets in front of me. They're at my desk at home, but I would say eight or nine, I believe, were approved in the budget for this coming year. Why is that a good thing? Some people might say, do we really need more staff? Why do you think that's an important step forward? Well, first, let me go back. It has been considerable time, and I mean, uh, certainly not in my 10 years, did we ever have an organization or service delivery review carried out by KPMG. So first of all, I thought that was long overdue. I think it's overdue for any organization that hasn't had one at least in the last seven or eight years. And for us, it's been significant time. In weighing the different services and the needs of the municipality, they identified certain areas where we just do not have the right realignment, or in fact, we don't even have the right individual for you to come in to get service from or to help put those service packages together. So one of the first ones uh, that was recommended, uh, again, I wanna be clear on this, some are in-house to your point. We recreated a director of legislative services and we separated some of the operational pieces so they don't have to go to the corporate side. They can come over to the legislative service side be dealt with by Mr. Larmer. And as part of that, we will have a posting go out shortly for a manager of bylaw. We realize in bylaw, we've grown immensely over the last 10 years. Uh, We need support in our bylaw department of how that should be organized and to meet all the judicial things that are coming down to us and the organization that goes with that. And that, of course, includes everything from bylaws of every type. Similarly, we did the same for what we call the CBO. Um, The CBO, of course, is to help the chief building official. We've realized as we've grown in Coburg, I think when I came here, we were roughly 11 or 12,000 people. The sign now states we're just under 20,000 people. And in that time, we did not add on any individuals in the CBO department. So that's to help with permits, building permits, outstanding issues, follow up of concerns. And again, it can be interrelated to bylaw circumstances 
as well. So that posting has yet to go out as I speak. Um, I'm trying to think through, um, sorry, there's bylaw, there's CBO, there's legislative services. We are also going out for a grant writer and a policy writer. And the reason being because typically we don't have anybody to help us at this point write our policies. Uh, when we did a service review, we found that we're 60 plus policies that have not been reviewed for the municipality. And certainly in the last five years, which is critical from a governance point of view. And we also realized by combining this with a grant writer, this person could be looking for federal provincial grants. And if I can use the example that the county has been doing this now for a number of years with the grant writer um, in a report we received at the county, the grant writer was to, able to bring in over $600,000 with 11 grants still outstanding to the county. So that's the kind of uh, search for money and what's out there that could be done if we had the right person in place. And so that's critically important. And uh, we're also looking for a coordinator for our accessibility, as we all know that all municipalities have to have their accessibility plans in order for 2025. We have to meet all provincial mandates. And this person is also going to help us to promote what we call our new incorporated EDI strategy committee, which is equity, diversity, inclusionary committee. So again, these are newly found committees we're also hoping that this person will come in and to drive and enable us to meet the standards that we have to meet for 2025. And on the area of facilities, we're also doing an asset management uh, uh, manager because by the province, by 2025, we have to have all our asset management plans submitted to the province for everything that the town owns. And, this is actually a great piece for the future because that will help us to align what our needs are in infrastructure on every element. I expect and I hope it will be aligned with a, a business continuity plan and then realign with the budget. So again, you can see in the positions we requested and uh, staff requested and council approved, this is to help us to fill the gap of the services that we have not been able to do or we haven't done appropriately in a number of years. Just for people who are listening who may not be familiar with the jargon, uh, when you're talking about an asset management plan, what you're talking about is somebody goes out and they figure out all the sidewalks and all the roads and all the sewers and all the hydrants and, and uh, lamps and posts and signage and everything. They do this huge inventory and then they look at replacing every item and they draft up a plan that says here how much we're going to have to spend each year if we're going to keep these things in order over time. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Uh, yes, and, and what's also important, the province made clear that without the submission of these plans, approvals of the plans, that any future at least provincial money would not be forthcoming for any grants unless these plans are approved, I'm only assuming from the Ministry of Housing and Affairs. Sure. So it's really critical to every municipality in Ontario 
that is now working on this. Last budget question. Uh, the council raised transit fares for this upcoming year. You have also overhauled the transit system and how it functions. Why did council feel it was necessary to raise rates now during the pandemic when so many people are facing fiscal hardship or having fiscal troubles and so many other pressures in their lives? Why do it now? Well, I mean, we can always argue, is there ever a right time? And I guess one of my first arguments is perhaps uh, we waited far too long because when I remember back, I don't think they were raised for 14 years. So when you consider that we have had enhanced increases for transit, whether it be for bus shelters, the purchasing of a bus, the paying for staffing, uh, the maintenance costs, the signage, the list goes on. We did not increase for 14 years. And of course, when we didn't increase it for 14 years, no one said anything. And yet our costs were constantly going up to the point that we're now subsidizing transit well over a million dollars. So at some point we had to then look at it fairly and say, whoa, we can't just keep a million, 1.5 million, because that's taxpayers' monies too. Again, so what we try to do is look at when we could do it. Uh, the fees went up uh, groups in a very incremental fashion, I believe, for the next three years to 2023. And by doing this, we're hoping based on ridership that we'll be able to recover some of the costs that we have been putting out for a number of years, but more importantly, looking at can we do transit differently? And that's why we brought in a pilot project um, for this year to review how well is this new transit model working on demand service and to bring a report back this spring to council to really answer that question. Is it working as well as it does in uh, other communities like Ukutuks and others that are going to on-demand on service? It's forcing us to look at how we purchase buses and what kind of buses do we purchase and can we use smaller type buses that may come in at slightly less cost. And at the same time this year, we incorporated uh, what we call a reloadable smart card. So again, we're looking at all ways where we can enhance transit. But with that being said, if COVID continues and this, this goes on to a duration, then I give council credit because council has made the exception to either minimize or stop the collection of fees for a certain period during COVID. We've done that at least on two occasions that I'm aware of. And we may have to do it a third time as well. Accessibility and inclusiveness were major focuses uh, of the past year. Going forward, what can we expect from council? Well, first of all, I, as I repeated, um, AOTA is doing a multi multiple plan. It's, a, it's quite the Bible if you ever really get into it and all the intricacies. And that's due by 2025. So I'm really delighted when this new person will be hired to help lead that moving forward. I very much want to compliment our accessibility advisory committee. They're engaged, they help us. Uh, we work closely with one another, whether it be on uh, design of planning and buildings, whether it be on daily parking spots, uh, what can be done in the business core, the incorporation of signage, 
I can tell you they're really engaged in our community and they do a fantastic job of telling us the right way to do things because they live it each and every day in their own daily lives. But what about inclusiveness, though? Uh, that was another p- part of the two things were paired together. What about things going forward regarding inclusiveness? Well, inclusiveness, I, I want to credit, we're just starting with the committee. We have a very eclectic uh, committee and in the inclusive diversity committee. Um, I have yet to see uh, they're working on their strategic plan moving forward because they were just put together pre-Christmas. And I look forward to what they're putting forward for our community. Uh, what are they going to be recommending to council? Uh, what finances, resources should we be putting in? I know the Women in Governance series was a tremendous hit. And, and I mean, not hit as negative. It was just really profoundly uh, well-recognized and used and has been a model, I think, for other municipalities as well. So to me, they're in the very early stages of planning, but I look forward to what they're recommending, whether that be both in how we can deal with the public and service delivery. I know just before Christmas, Ms. Kramer, when she's with us, was bringing in a system for different languages that could be used instantly if, if there were concern in service delivery. As well, I know we're reviewing our hiring practices for the town of Coburg uh, and policy development. So again, we're in very early stages, but I remain very confident that this group is going to bring some great recommendations to council. On a personal note, over the past year, what is one of the big takeaways for you? A lesson you're not going to forget. Well, I, th- I think w- one of the biggest lessons I've learned, uh, we went back two years ago to March 2020, and you asked me Delta or Varian or Omicron or any of this language, I go, sorry, what are you talking about? So what I've learned from that is, is that uh, that is now part of our daily business. It's uh, something I've learned through our emergency control group that we meet certainly weekly and daily if need be. And we've been meeting consistently for the last two years to help make decisions where we can. And if we can't, and again, those reports are certainly encouraged and taken to Cobra Council. And I think what I've learned more than anything in these very roller coaster challenging times for both individuals and families is the importance of collaboration uh, the importance of maintaining a positive attitude. And I know sometimes in England, I've not been to England, but I see people wear a shirt that often says, be calm and something like be calm, but move ahead or move forward. And I think that's where we are as town of Coburg. Uh, remain calm, uh, deal with what you need to deal with in a hopefully a very proactive manner, work as a team and work towards resolution. So for me, in many fronts, I think that's been uh, the biggest reward, sometimes the biggest challenge, but also the biggest reward. This year, there is a municipal election. Have you made any decisions about running yet? Uh, no, I, I, no, I have not. I, I actually took a few days off. <laughs> Christmas was nice to have some downtime, even though it was just in the home environment. I didn't go too far. And that's perhaps a conversation I'll have in 2022 with my 
significant other. I know my dog will be in agreement because we're always in agreement. And then I'll have a chat with my children who are adults, but I still respect their point of view. Mayor Henderson, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Robert, as always. And I hope you had a break and I hope you had uh, are staying safe as well with family as well. Same to you. That was Coburg Mayor John Henderson. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.